0: Future Ventures is a conversation series to deep dive into the world of corporate venture building. It explores the journey of identifying new corporate venture opportunities and executing them successfully through conversations with entrepreneurs, expert practitioners, and corporate leaders. Tune in to listen to how they did it, what were their key learnings, and what were the results and trade-offs they had to make along the way. We will also explore how a large corporate mothership can support and enable a fledgling venture team. And welcome to the first episode of the Future Venture Series. I am your host, Pedro uriah Recio, ex-group head of Data at Axiata, a regional telecom and digital conglomerate, ex-McKinsey, and also venture partner in Future Lab Ventures. In this first episode, we have invited a veteran of Southeast Asia's. Innovation and entrepreneurial scene, Kit Wong. Kit Wong is a serial entrepreneur and a seasoned executive who built and scaled up unicorn ventures such as Ovo in Indonesia or Lu Global here in Singapore, and also led the fast growth of notable global tech players in the region, such as, for example, Google. Kit Wong brings a unique set of capabilities, from deep product expertise to strategy and scale up experiences. He also has deep knowledge of fintech, financial services, the asset management sector, and the innovation landscape in Asia. Additionally, Kid Wong has recently been appointed as CEO for Singapore and MD for Asia at eToro, the world's leading social trading platform. Well, Kid Wong uh, thank you so much for coming here. It is such a pleasure to finally get to meet you personally, after having been discussing over the last uh, the last few months about mm-hmm. different topics. So uh, such a, an enormous pleasure to be here with you. Um, I you. wanted to start this conversation today about venture building uh, with a recap of your uh, career until now, what mm-hmm. you have been doing, uh, how did you arrive to the place where you are? Right? You have been in McKinsey, you have been in ANC, you have been in Google, you have been in Ovo, uh, so many places. So could you just let us know a little bit more your journey? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, I'll probably start post-MBA. I think that's the easiest. So I did a Wharton MBA um, okay. and then joined McKinsey. Um, did you join
0: in the U.S. or...? Uh, well, the
1: original thought for me was to stay in the U.S. But then the discussion around it was to... Was, uh, McKinsey, en- shall we say, encouraged me to, to, to move to Malaysia. Okay. Um, and mainly because at that point in time, they were growing the office and they wanted more Malaysians there. Um, so so that's where I started. I was in financial services. Actually, I was 100% financial services in the McKinsey career, right? And then you um, did that for quite some time. I think the key takeaway for me, if I, if I want to sum it up, I mean the biggest takeaway for me was problem-solving and structuring, mm-hmm. you know, how do you take a big problem, how do you break it down, how do you communicate to people so they know exactly what they're doing. I mean that to me is the biggest, the key biggest takeaway that I use, right, among all the other things that you learn from McKinsey. Um, then from McKinsey I went to ANZ, ANZ Bank, I was looking after Corporate Strategy MA for Asia. Um, that one to me was the first large corporate job, so a lot of that was around stakeholder management, um syndication how do you then make sure you talk and get enough views and how do you bring people together right so that's that sort of skill set i picked up there um it was at that time i took a leap and joined google from so from banking to tech and that was a you know i would say probably one of the more interesting moves uh, um, because you know banking's quite top down yeah. google's very yeah all over the place right? uh, so then that was pretty much my introduction to a lot of tech. and Was I it a shock a at some point? Yeah, it was. I think it took me six months to figure out what was going on, and okay. I still, you know, still didn't get it. Um, but that was a good experience. And uh, what did you do in Google? Um, strategy and business operations.
0: Okay.
1: I, I was in the ads business. Okay. Um, and coming out of that, I think, for me, the most interesting bit, you know, when we look at it, was the way the founders, Larry and Sergey, the way they set targets, the way they set the vision, and how they're constantly thinking of the next new thing, the big thing. right? And it's quite interesting within a Google environment, if you set the right vision and you have the right people there you know, who are all smart, young, hungry, and so forth, they will drive to the vision. You know? So a lot of that is around pointing a direction and then helping people, clearing the way so that people then can get moving on to results. Um,
0: so it's about getting kind of a distributed environment where innovation can thrive. Correct. Right.
1: You know, mm-hmm. So I did that for a while. I um, was looking to do something different, and an opportunity came up in Indonesia, um, and it was quite interesting because you know, coming after a number of years at Google, you can go anywhere, or you can go to any other company, um, but there was an opportunity in, in Indonesia to build a digital bank, and this is you know, this was what, twenty thirteen. You know, so it was quite quite an interesting opportunity. So that's then that that. I started off as a digital bank but in the end morphed into OVO and I can talk about that a bit later Mm -hmm. Um, and that was quite fun. And then from OVO I went to LUFAX where I helped set up the Singapore office um, and we built a regional wealth management platform uh, out of Singapore Um, and then now more recently as as I said I'm at eToro Um, again helping them on the wealth management platform for Asia.
0: Well, everybody knows about eToro, which is the most, uh, uh, the trading. largest social trading platform in the world, right? Oh. But tell us more about uh, Lufax, because maybe some people don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, so Lufax is um,
1: a member of the Ping An Group. Uh, Lufax started out in China as uh, probably the largest P2P player in China. Uh, now it's morphed, right, because P2P in China is, is um, not, not there anymore. So now Lufax is a pretty large uh, personal loans and wealth manager platform. Right, okay. So, it's massive. Right? It got listed recently as a massive enterprise in China. Um, in, in Singapore, in Asia, is different. We're focusing purely on wealth management. And in this case, it's around um, democratizing finance, but at a certain higher level. Right? Mm-hmm. So, we were specifically looking at illiquid products like private equity, um, not so much VC, but private equity, private debt, and bringing it together using the platform as an aggregation device Um, In order to hit those sort of minimum subscription bulk sizes, but then we would then fractionalize it. So we were offering private equity over a mobile device for minimum five k investments. You know, still seven year lockups. Five thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars. You know, and we found that was very interesting because what we found was, when you make it that sort of number, people are interested. You know, there's always a lot of demand for this. But if you say three hundred thousand minimum, then you know there's only a certain segment you can go for. Whereas if you make it available and the other discussion is it's part of a balanced portfolio, it's actually a very viable option. So the whole discussion around is private equity too risky for people, for me it comes back down to a portfolio discussion. If you have a hundred thousand to invest and you put five thousand into private equity, that's not a huge exposure, that's not like it's exposure. You know? On the other hand, if you have, you know, three hundred thousand dollars and you put entire the whole lot into one private equity deal, that's a bit risky, right? So it's it's about balanced portfolio.
0: Perfect. Very good. Well, so thank you very much for, for this introduction. We're going to discuss more um, focusing uh, around venture building. Sure. Right? So we're going to discuss about how to identify opportunities, how to grow these opportunities, how to manage uh, people in a corporate venture, how to manage the governance between sure. the motherhood uh, of the, the, the corporate parent of the venture and, and the different ventures in the portfolio. Um, but maybe we can start with your experience in OVO with, because that was precisely a corporate venture building experience, mm. right can you tell us a little bit about what is the idea behind ovo mm. and, and where it was mm. uh, where that idea was when you joined uh, okay
1: so the lo- the ovo was was founded by, by the Lipo group by Lipo, uh, Lipo. Lipo itself and uh, basically and
0: li- and Lipo group is an Indonesian Indonesian conglomerate, conglomerate.
1: yes um, <coughs> So they were at the ideation stage in order to look at different businesses that they could venture into. Uh, and one of the ideas that came up was a digital bank. Um, and that was basically at that point in time where they had looked at the landscape and said, you know, this could be interesting for us. Um, you know, they, we ha- they have a banking license and a few of the ingredients were there. So there was at that stage then. And then I was approached, um, I was approached to see whether I'd be interested to help them kick it off. You know, that's basically how it started so when I came in there was no employees I think I was employee number one
0: you were employee number one yeah oh.
1: I think so uh, maybe there were a couple here and there, but definitely about employee number one and I, I was a, at that time I was brought in I was a CEO for that setup um, and we started building and designing a digital bank right so the full the full works right core bank system you know all that working under an existing license right so it would become a sub-brand maybe of an existing bank offshoot you know okay so that was the whole concept behind it um and this is where it's interesting was we started that way and we realized after a period of time that actually uh, the digital bank in itself was not sufficient you know because it sounds nice but what really do consumers want with a digital bank and where's the differentiation versus a traditional bank and on top of that there was another enterprise in indonesia at the time called genius so genius had started building about a year and a half earlier than OVO, you know, and it was getting to the stage. We had caught up quite well, but they were still going to beat us to the punch. And so then the discussion was at that point, should we still go ahead with the digital bank positioning or try something different, right? And that's where then we morphed it into OVO. Uh, we already and had set on the brand
0: payments, So today, OVO is a Payments, payments and membership. And a membership platform rather Correct. than a digital bank.
1: Correct, but the background and the whole rails is built like a digital bank. Okay. Right, but we just didn't see the value in going to market with digital bank number two.
0: Mm-hmm. And okay.
1: that was where we pivoted, um, expanded the company, where then Lipo brought in a few other sub companies they had and brought it all together. Um, you know, and that's when my job morphed to chief product officer. Okay. You know, and then that's when we then focused on so we were already having the rails for banking and payments and so forth. They brought in one of the smaller companies, which are the membership services, and we brought it all together. Uh, And went to market with both payments and memberships. Okay. Rewards. Rewards. Rewards is a better word.
0: Okay, okay, perfect. And had you done venture building at that time uh, when you arrived to OBO? Because you were in Google, and that was I mean you were just saying that you were in business, but it's not the same. It's not the same. So, what were your uh, what was your mindset about? How corporate venture building should be done when you arrive to OVO, and how do you discover? How do did you adapt that mindset? How do that? How did the the way of building ventures that you had yeah. in your mind evolve over time? I, I
1: you know, I would argue I mean I've not done it before at that time right so you can argue you're a bit naive it's kind of like oh that's a cool idea let's just go do something you know and the whole and. Given my background in banking and Google, and somebody gives you an opportunity to say, hey, you want to build a digital bank at that point in time, and this is again, like I said, in 2013, right? Where yeah, nobody's really talking about it. It was pretty cool. Okay. So that was the, the general thing was more around, okay, you know, let's do something entrepreneurial. There's an opportunity here, and then there are certain ingredients that make sense um, versus you doing it yourself, right? And so that's the bit. So okay. I, I didn't really have many uh, preconceived notions. I have a better idea now, clearly. Um, You know, I mean, it's one of those things that, okay, I'll just approach it like a startup and just build from scratch and see what happens.
0: Okay, and what is that better idea that you have now? Um, So if you can look past in time, what are the the key lessons learned or the key ingredients that corporates should take into account uh, when it comes to building ventures? Um,
1: I'll forget, let's skip aside the whole point on what is the business idea, because that's part of that discussion. I think the the key thoughts for me for a corporate is, what are you bringing to the picture? Other than money, you know, or maybe a bit of talent, what do you bring into this wider picture? You know, because if you're not bringing anything, then the question is, what's the value of that, right? So I think that's one set of questions around that. Second set of questions would be very clearly, set up the governance right. You know, and make sure that if you really want to do a venture build, you know, what is the venture build style that you want to do? Is it a separate, totally independent run? Or is it a, actually a division within your corporation? You know, when you def- and, and you can define it any way you want. But I think agree on that upfront, and, and that model then defines how you work with the team that builds the venture okay. in itself. You know, those to me will be fairly big uh, issues to solve, other than, of course, what's the business idea and does it does it make money and all that. Sort of let's stuff. get
0: let's get into these into these uh, uh, items one by one, right? Let's discuss a little bit about the the corporate assets. What are the assets that the corporate is bringing yeah. to the table? Then we're we'll going to the other things sure. that you have said. So, in the case of Lipo hmm. and uh, the payments platform and the corporate bank, uh, the digital bank, sorry, uh, what were the assets or what were the different ways in which Lipo? was adding value to the venture? Mm. And in general, if we can expand that more generally, what are typically the assets that a corporate can bring to the table to a venture?
1: So again, setting aside the whole point on money and seed and all that, right? Lippo is a big conglomerate, quite a successful conglomerate. Uh, And they have businesses, a wide range of businesses. I think what made a lot of sense for what Ovo was doing is that they're actually very strong in consumer-related businesses. So they have a coffee chain, they have malls, um, they run supermarket chains, they, they, they run department stores, you know, they run hospitals. So there, a lot of their focus is on, on people and people-related or consumer-related businesses. Right? So, so those were assets which when we had overlooked at it, and this is in the discussion on do we stay a digital bank or do we morph, was okay, you know what, there's a range of assets. How can we then leverage those assets to make this bigger? And clearly, if you look at it was rewards programs at that point in time, everybody kind of had their own reward program. So the concept was to bring it all together into one generic reward program and, mm-hmm. roll, and then and use that scale to roll it out for customer adoption. You know, so that was clearly one sort of assets they had access to. You know, and, but life, I mean, life is never as easy as that, right? You, just, you don't just say, I want it and everybody gives it to you. You still have to build a demonstrable value proposition. You need so to, need to go around to each one and say, what yeah. are you doing differently? Even with Corporate Blessing, it's still a series of negotiated deals throughout, right? But it's a lot easier because you're under the same umbrella mm-hmm. and, and at least the vision and the direction is clear.
0: And apart from introductions to different channel partners mm-hmm. or partners, or, or, or other members of the corporate family. What other kinds of assets do corporates typically provide to, to ventures? Well, or well, connections. Connections.
1: Right. If a large corporate, you probably have all sorts of partners everywhere, right? Um, clearly within the professional services, you, really, you probably know everybody that's there. You know, and and a lot of times, let's stay, take professional services, law firms, you know, for a venture, you just grab whoever you can grab and just go, whoever's willing to maybe work for you in the first place or even service you, right? Whereas, you know, with a large corporate venture, with large corporate backing, um, it's useful that they can help identify what is the right professional service to help you for your particular problem. Mm. Right. Um, I think, you know, the days of, of somebody being a generic problem solver is getting harder and harder. And you will find that, that especially in our case, we're, OK, say we're doing a rewards program. I need to write a generic set of rewards T's and C's, you know, and I can just get one off account of off the show. shelf, but in this case, because we're dealing very much with uh, people data across a large number of fields, then you really need somebody who understands mm-hmm. the PDPA rules and how that works in that sort of environment. So then the ability to identify the right specialist at the right point in time was also extremely useful.
0: So basically, by providing all these assets to the ventures, can we say that corporate ventures could be in a way faster, they could scale up faster than garage uh, based on the typical ventures that we have in a garage, is that the advantage that the corporate partner can be it's, it's a mix. faster, or or can they go faster? Can they grow bigger? What is what is the, the final result of well, having this assets?
1: You, you can't discount the business idea in its own right because mm-hmm. even with all the ingredients, it still comes back to the business idea behind it. But I would say with the right ingredients in place from a corp- corporate venture, um, you can kick it off faster and you can move a bit faster. Mm-hmm. Again. You know, assuming the right governance in place and so forth, right? Because you can go the other way around and the corporate venture ends up strangling yeah. the, you know, the, yeah. the startup. Um, but generally, it would smooth the way, especially given that the sort of people that you want to hire are people who are hungry, who are, are just going to push ahead, but may not actually have the depth of experience that you need to be able to advise properly mm-hmm. or make the right decision. So having that balancing act is useful.
0: So let's move th- into this point, which is the second thing you mentioned before, governance, right? Mm. Um, what are the different kinds of governance frameworks that you have seen working in corporate venture building? So what are the key, the key successful ways of doing it?
1: I think the, it's hard to give a standard answer for that. A lot depends on the culture of the mothership and how the mothership operates and that then also determines the culture of the venture to some extent. Right? Um, and, and For example, is it a case where the venture is set up as 100% independent, effectively the mothership does is provide seed capital, it sits on the board and maybe that's it and then this thing goes off on its own, in which case then it's quite a clear separation or is there a closer mix, like in in the case of OVO, there's a closer mix between um, the parent company, the direction of OVO, and how it also interacts with the other divisions, right? In which case then you can't be too separated from, you know? So those are bits where there is an overall question on the culture of the organization, how that wants to work, because in some cultures, having a pure independent split just doesn't work in that culture. Mm -hmm. That's one set. The other area is, is interesting for me in my experience so far, on corporate I think thats I see more tensions come up with the supporting services than with the businesses you know so for example you know if I'm doing something and another business is doing something within the within the corporate environment usually you know we can figure out if there's a way to work together but I tend to see more tension that comes up with the finance the HR the operations and all that because in a corporate, these guys are the ones keeping the rails running. These are the ones keeping it saying, okay, you need to behave this way, this way, this way, because that's the governance yeah. we put in place.
0: So following procurement practices that might delay the Correct. natural the natural speed that the, the startup needs to have, right?
1: Those are the bits I think for a corporate venture, you need to be very clear when you're doing it, how do you want them to interact with those sort of rules? Because those are the rules that I find that tend to um, absolutely yeah. create trouble for a venture startup. Because okay. right, the whole point of a venture startup, you want to do it, is off you go and run fast, right? On the other hand, if I have to buy my business cards from your central procurement credit, a business card which happens to sit in Australia, tell me that, how does that make sense? But it makes sense from a corporate angle, it doesn't make sense from this angle. So I, I do tend to see more tensions, in, at least in my experience, um, with those set of areas, rather than the business areas. The business areas is business, right? Maybe I'm building something that is going to cannibalize somebody else you will get into those sort of arguments, but those are the same sort of arguments you will face in any normal market anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a question on then, you know, what are the constraints being put on this to operate within that environment?
0: Okay, so I understand from what you say that the right governance, the right structure depends a lot on the corporate culture yeah. of the parent, but are there common traits? Are there sure. best practices and things to avoid across yeah. all cultures? Can we say so? So what will be those common
1: things? I I mean, generally speaking, if you want to do this well and do it fast, then you need to set it up with a certain amount of independence. You need to hire the right people. And and my biggest advice to corporates is you take your time to find the right person, you know, with the right mix that you want. But once you've found that person, really, truly delegate authority and let them run. If it doesn't work, move them out. I mean, that's part of life. Mm -hmm. But once you've got it, really set it up well and just say, okay, it's yours like a venture business would do like a do. proper venture yeah. you know now and then of course the idea would be for the person hired the new ceo or whatever that the person comes in with a mindset of saying okay you know i have the right to do this but i'm also not an idiot i will leverage whatever i can from the mothership that gets me to my next uh-huh. stage even faster you know so for example you go in there and you want to use sap but they have a deal with somebody else that is thirty percent cheaper. So yes, you know, it, yeah. why not? Or just use it. It's thirty mm-hmm. percent. As long as it can set up in a way that doesn't constrain the new business.
0: Mm-hmm. Perfect. Understood. That point that you just mentioned about HR is interesting, right? Getting people who are who have the right incentives mm-hmm. to run that unit as a as a startup, as a venture, not as a corporate department. Yeah. Right. And that might not necessarily be easy. Uh, What were the challenges or or, uh, the best practices that you would recommend uh, when it comes to hiding and when it comes to defining the incentives of those people?
1: Uh, Okay, I tend to like stock in general. You know, I wasn't so much, but... Stock
0: is um, something that corporates are typically not familiar with.
1: Yes, but I generally like it. You know, I'd rather people be be a bit hungrier and also in there for the longest term you know, and so therefore I'd like stock compensation, but it needs to be designed well, right? If stock compensation is designed as a bluff, then you know, people know about it pretty quickly. So it has to be something real and tangible. I've seen enough of these where, you know, where they have stock agreement and they're like subject to this, subject to that, subject to that, you know? Yes, I know there's a certain need, but those things don't tend to work well because people are not. Would
0: it, not would it be, would it be for, from your point of view, the recommendation, would it be like pure stock in the venture or will it be more of an ESOP kind of uh, that depends. arrangement?
1: That really depends. Definitely. If, for example, there's no intention of ever spinning off the venture, you know, then giving stock in the venture is not terribly relevant. Right? Um, either way, the, it doesn't have to be stock, it, has to, it can be a, a synthetic, mm-hmm. but something that ties in the team to rewards based on performance. Right. Even at the purest, purest level, a pure commission-only sort of structure could work, but it's pretty hard to get okay. people in a pure commission structure. So that they know the team knows that their rewards is based on the achievements of this business and is 100% tied to that to a large extent. I think I like that a lot generally.
0: And how would you approach the concerns that corporate have typically when it comes to uh, give equity away mm. in their in their units because that's something that they they typically don't do right mm. uh, is is quite quite uncommon I would say so what are the different ways of uh, overcoming this uh, tension synthetic synthetic right? yeah. okay so for example you could yeah. say
1: okay there's a unit being set up is so certain Revenue targets and all that, and literally you just sit up and say, okay, X percent of revenue will just get distributed down as a. So that's a way of
0: having a synthetic equity, synthetic uh, uh, story. As long
1: as the plan is easy to explain and uh, everybody kind of understands that so that they are lying, that's also fine.
0: Okay, that's perfect, Mm -hmm. very good. Um, There is one point that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which was about ideation, how to get the right idea, validating the idea. Maybe we can dive a little bit into this, Mm. right? Um, So you were saying that uh, in OVO, uh, the the initial idea was creating a digital bank, Mm. then it pivoted into payments and rewards. Um, What are uh, the right ways of identifying where the opportunities are? And validating those opportunities, startups typically in, in garage, right? They yeah. do a lot of uh, A/B testing, yeah. contacting early clients. Yeah. Same. Uh, so you will have to do the same thing. Same.
1: Whatever tools that you have, you will do. It's never a science, right? I mean, the the more traditional training that you and I had is, what is the size of the revenue pool? You yeah, know, like is there a kind of yeah, yeah. You know, that's a value in that. You know, as well.
0: So you can identify pockets yes. of opportunity, yes. but that way you will not be able to identify the actual opportunity Correct. inside the pocket. Correct,
1: You can, at least I think the, the top-down version, revenue pools, all that, gives you a sense of size of the price. You know? Then the actual niche will not come from that. And the actual niche to me will come from really understanding who the consumer is, if it's a consumer or whatever, but who's the customer? What is the pain points that they're facing? And do you have a solution there that works? Mm-hmm. And then once you've got that, the next question is: Is that particular solution or pain point, you know, is that worth fifty bucks, or is it worth, you know, more, than, way more than that, right? And then that's and that in that sense becomes maybe a maybe good faith, you know. Um, but more rapidly coming up with series of prototypes that you can test with with the customer and get rapid feedback becomes an easy way for you to get steps towards realization of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there's no rocket science you know if you spend a lot of time you know, crunching the numbers you know it's a waste of time because the numbers are the numbers all you want is something that says yep roughly the rest becomes go forward try it say it, you know test it succeed fail move on refine move on refine uh-huh. right, so the pivots are very important actually
0: how does this approach of people, which is it makes total sense? This is how mm-hmm. startups really work in the in the real world. But how do corporates cope with this approach? Because they are not uh, used to that. It's as another of the things that corporates typically don't do, right? So you make a business plan, and uh, changing the business plan in a corporate is kind of a big decision. When in a startup, it's kind of is something that could happen quite quite often, right? Yep. So how do you? Um, uh, how do you close the gap between the but two? But this goals? comes
1: back to the governance structure, right? Are you setting this up as something that is somewhat independent, or is it a division off, right? And the moment it's a division off, then you falls under a lot of dif- a lot of those sort of challenges, you know. So so that's a, that becomes first. My first point would be that's an internal discussion that needs to happen with the corporate venture builder, and say, okay, what is it that you really want to do? and how much of the change are you willing to do? Secondly, the opportunity needs to be defined in a way that allows pivot. Right? So let's say you take OVO. If I define my opportunity as 100% I want to build a digital bank and be the first to launch a digital bank in Indonesia, then that's all I'm building. Yep. As opposed to the discussion is, look, we want to get more consumers together. We want to start with collecting together consumers' money and helping them with transactions and then you and then from that itself has opportunity to pivot right so in that sense at the beginning i would keep it reasonably broad have a directions so everybody's aligned so for example at least say i'm going after consumer or am i going after b2b right at least that's key decision
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know but at least have something there that, that defines it but allows the freedom for it to refine as it goes on okay. i think the what is needed to answer the question on pivot is um ability for the business to recognize when something's working or not working um, mm. An ability for then the corporate to say, Okay, off you go, right? Or I can help you this way. I'll give you a sp- specific example from over one of the things we that became quite successful was paying for parking. You know, so in Indonesia at the time, you go take a parking ticket, you go to a booth or whatever it is, and you pay, and then you get your parking ticket stamped, validated, and then you go in line, and then you go on your way out, you hand it into the counter, and then they open yeah. the gate for you. So right? in Malaysia, that, yeah, yeah. So we were going for a lot of meetings, and it became a real pain in the ass to keep doing that. So you know, as one of the things that we do, and this is where the freedom of a venture comes in, you say, look, what the heck? We put a bunch of people together, and we just built it. So we built a methodology, and we tied it to one car park that we were using a lot because of our meetings there that allowed us to scan the, the ticket, pay it online through the app, and then immediately get a digital verification which you then pass to the counter. You know? And as soon as the counter gets it and checks it, it's okay and goes off and we did it as our own service to serve to solve a pain point that we had you know but but we didn't think about it as a business and now you look at it and go, of course it's a business right and we just suddenly realized we're seeing adoptions go up and we looked at it and go oh it's this thing and then immediately we pivoted and said well shoot boom and immediately then the team got started and start signing up car parks around the place in order to facilitate that right and that hit adoption but it's one of those things where there was a pain point that we picked up but we didn't recognize it as a pain point en masse, but we tried it, put it in the market, so to speak, and immediately the feedback was great, and then, then the question is scale. So they immediately just ramp it out and sign people up. You mm-hmm. know? But that's the sort of freedom it needs to be, right? And if you ask me, if you go back and say, hey, you're building a payments and rewards, What what's CarParks going to do with it? And although it's one transaction, it's still only one, but well, it's, it's adoption. It's a payment transaction. But it's adoption. Right. The key is con- consumer
0: adoption, right? It's a pain mm-hmm. point that helps you get so hacking it's kind adoption. of a growth hacking yeah. uh, tactic, right? So now you get the car parks, then you do something else to get oh. another business, Correct. then you get another thing. Correct. And finally, you are getting adoption of your payments yeah. platform across a different number of industries, right? What a I, different I'm, number.
1: I'm pretty sure that all this um, food delivery, I, you know, to some extent, it just happened because people noticed something, you know? I, I mean, I still remember, I was using Uber and I needed to get something from a shop and this is before all that, and I was like, I'm not gonna go, I was in Malaysia. Like you, and it's from one end to KL to the other. I'm not going to go drive one and a half hours to get there, right? So I called the guy up and said, Look, I really want it. I'll pay for you now, right? You know, I'll send I'll send the money to your account. You know, I'll call the Uber. You just put it in yeah, the carpet. You just car put it in me. the Uber and then. And the guy was like, What are you doing? And I was like, Just, just try. Try was it. in what year, more or well, less? This is way back. This is probably 2014, 2015. Oh, 2014. Yeah, that's it. That was and early. it didn't exist, right? And the guy said, Look, do me a favor, you know, take a picture of the guy's license plate, take a picture of putting it in a yeah. car and I just trust it's going to happen. right? And we tried it and I got it and I was like, you know what, this works. And so that was happenstance. Now I didn't go launch delivery and I was stupid and like, I didn't see that value, but clearly people were hacking around doing that anyway. And so the key point on that will be when you got that service, go listen to your consumer. They're already figuring out ways of using it beyond what mm-hmm. you already know. The question becomes then you're in a position to take that and turn it into a service en masse. Well,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously many, many of the ideas, uh, the great ideas in venture building come from problems that the founders themselves mm. experience, right? Mm. So those are probably the best ideas. Um, very good. So uh, just to finalize, I wanted to ask you about what you think the outlook of corporate venture building is gonna be in the region going forward over the next few years.
1: On the hand, that you know, I think the opportunities clearly exist because we have a lot of problems that still haven't been solved, right? And it's just a matter of putting the right resources together for it. Um, so I do think that the scope for venture building is still pretty big. And there are certain advantages, right? Where if you're part of a venture, and I said if you're part of an already existing ecosystem, I don't even have to go build an ecosystem. I just have to build something that I can plug into your ecosystem. Immediately, I'm a up right? I mean, if you look at the success of a lot of the ventures tied to the Ali's and, 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 the, and the Tencent's, a lot of it reflects that, right? So I do think there's an opportunity within that. And it also makes sense for a large corporate and, you know, the whole, the old school discussion, am I going to be verti- vertically integrated or horizontally or whatever it is, but right now the discussion is I don't have to be either. I'll just start a bunch of ventures that are either vertical or horizontal. I just need to manage that together in such a way that it's cohesive. Mm-hmm. So I do think that sort of opportunity is great. On the other hand, the flip side for it would be, I think the talent opportunity is a problem, right? The talent. talent. There's less and less talent floating around that can do this. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do.
0: So there is less and less talent because they are going into other opportunities. There's a lot they of demand go- for this talent, right?
1: There's a lot of demand for fintech people in Singapore right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that becomes then, then your talent pool.
0: So you, you mean that maybe a, a lot of talent prefer to go into a series B startup, a series B uh, a fintech no, startup me, me re- or be a founder rather me, than let let being a corporate? That.
1: Some of the ingredients you need for somebody who's a successful venture building team are very, very similar to someone who's going to be successful as an entrepreneur or a startup in his own right.
0: Yeah, because they are entrepreneurs. Correct. In, in the, that correct. talent
1: pool is extremely limited.
0: Mm.
1: You know? And then that talent pool, people don't understand that yet, but that talent pool now today has a lot of choice. Right? Mm, and, absolutely. and so the question becomes, how do you bring that talent pool in? And that's the, the value proposition that means craft it needs to be crafted. If you go to that talent and say, hey, come join me, here's all my corporate stuff, chances are you won't. On the other hand, if you say, look, you come, you have this freedom, you can do this, 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 and this. And you have faculty incentives. I have all this set up in a way that gets you from A to B, you know, 30% faster than you would somewhere else. Correct. That's a valid that's a discussion that has to happen.
0: Okay, perfect. So thank you so much for coming here today sure. and for letting us know more about corporate venture building and your experience. Um, and also congratulations on your new job in Itoro. Yes. And uh, well, um, it has been great to be here with you and let's keep in touch. Sure, thanks very thank much. Thank you very much.